Hello and welcome to the Talking Food with Bid Food podcast. I'm Joe Anglis and for this episode we're looking forward to what will hopefully be a more positive future for the industry by discussing how the summer will shape up for food service. Now with the government setting out a roadmap for exiting this lockdown, the attention for most turns towards how you can capitalise on the next coming months and then into hopefully what will be a boom for the market over the summer. To discuss this subject I've been speaking to a couple of really great guests. Justine Hopkinson is from Bidfood New Zealand and Shanae Shaw is from Bidfood Australia. Both have been through post-lockdown summers and can provide some fantastic insight into what their summer has been like and how consumer behaviour has developed in their countries. I was also joined by our Head of Customer Marketing, Gemma Benford. She was my co-host for this interview. Hi Gemma, how are you? Hiya Joe. really good thank you. I've uh, yeah. had enough of this lockdown. I'm ready to be let out, but I'm all good. Thank you. <laughs> Haven't we all? So, Gemma, can you give us a little bit of an overview of how we've been in collaboration with our colleagues in Australia and New Zealand and what that kind of means in terms of our recovery here in the UK? Yeah, sure. It's been really, really useful to us to have conversations with our fellow Bidcorp colleagues. Because Bidfood are part of Bidcorp, it means we have sister businesses all over the world. So, Over this past year, we've been virtually meeting our sister businesses and colleagues to discuss the different landscapes and what's been happening in the different countries. Each country is in a different position and with different numbers of cases and lockdowns. So meetings have been a really, really useful way of sharing experiences and ideas. So yeah, it's great to have the team from New Zealand and Australia on the podcast today. That's great, Gemma. So I'm really glad to welcome Justine and Shanae to the podcast. Hi, Justine. Hi, Joe. And hi, Shanae. Hi, Joe. Thank you for joining us. So can you give us a little bit of an overview of what your job roles are? Justine, do you want to go first? I look after the marketing here in New Zealand for the Bidfood New Zealand business. And I'm also involved in the development team, which we have in New Zealand, which um, develops our e-commerce platform, My Bidfood. And through that, I get to work with most of our businesses around the world, which is a pretty special job to have. I'm very lucky. Shanae? So I look after the national marketing team here in Australia. So there's uh, 12 of us in the team. um, And yeah, quite a dynamic bunch. And yeah, it's been an interesting 12 months. So like many here in the UK, I've definitely been one of those people that has seen the videos and pictures of sort of normal activity in bars and restaurants and even in festivals where you are and it's just making me ridiculously jealous. How would you describe the situation around COVID in both Australia and New Zealand at the moment? Sinead, do you want to go first? Yes, we've been extremely lucky. Um, Things have been relatively back to, I guess, what you could call the new normal um, for a little while now. We had a national lockdown around March uh, last year um, for approximately six to eight weeks for most of the country. And from there, most of the country um, eased out of restrictions fairly well. Um, Unfortunately, in recent months, we have had um, a couple of states um, go back into lockdown um, as we speak. Um, The state of Victoria has gone back into a five-day lockdown, so we really can't complain, but we are seeing these little spurts, um, just trying to keep things, I guess, at bay. Um, but generally, we've been very lucky. A lot of things have been back to normal for quite a while. So, Justine? Similar. Um, in New Zealand, we've had, I think, probably what most people would say was the best summer in a long time. The weather's been great. But also, it's just that sense of how lucky we are because we've had holidays and festivals and sports games and concerts. Um, so the news is regularly full of, and tonight in New Zealand, we have concert with this local band and there are 60,000 people at the event and a few things like that. So um, you don't take it for granted, that's for sure. Um, but And I think there's that celebratory aspect of it, which is probably, you know, brings even more excitement to going about your normal business and doing those special things. So we're recording this at eight o'clock in the morning, UK time. <laughs> um, I'm intrigued to know what time it is. I could probably work it out. Shanae, what time is it in Australia? Um, it's about 6.30 p.m. Okay. And Justine? 9.20. So it's not too bad. So 
So we'll talk about our predictions now. First of all, we're going to talk about staying local. So Gemma, what does this mean and how is it impacted um, by the pandemic? Well, we've seen that close to home has become far more important than close to work for obvious reasons. Um, We're seeing an avoidance of city centres, again, because offices are closed. But we expect an avoidance of city centres to continue even when offices do start to reopen. But we're also seeing a desire to support local businesses. People have just been exploring that bit more what's on their doorstep. And we expect to see consumers continue this behaviour even when things ease off. Um, Justine, this is something you're seeing in New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah, I think of all of the um, sort of post-pandemic influences, the one that is the most strongest has been just that really strong sense of supporting your local communities. And in in lots of different ways, but particularly hospitality. Um, Businesses in every sector have been under pressure and most people can't easily contribute to supporting you know, tyre manufacturers, they're not going to buy a new car, but they can go and get a coffee from their local coffee shop rather than going into maybe, you know, like a mall or some of those environments where there's a, that more sort of corporate corporate sort of feel. Um, so, you know, supporting people who they, um, their kids go to school with, who have businesses in the area, supporting local restaurants, um, staying closer to home in general, Um, Some of that probably also relates to maybe a reluctance to use more public transport or go into areas of the city or that, you know, a long way from home. So we'll just stay closer to home. Um, And there's been a lot of, I I think also in hospitality trade, a lot of response back to the customer. So hospitality traders really express that that, um, appreciation for that support Um, and a lot of, you know, sort of a sense of um, gratefulness, which comes out in some other things as well, I think. But I think of all of the, um, I I guess, changes and maybe more permanent that we've got or or maybe for quite a while until people start to really sort of go far afield, it's that sense of wanting to actually look after the people who live in your neighbourhood or work in your neighbourhood and support them as much as you can. It's so interesting, isn't it? How how do you think operators could maximise the opportunity of the consumer staying local? I don't think they should be afraid to actually um, promote that basis. You know, we talk about, um, you know, like hashtag support local, like you see that in um, social media posts and things like that. So I don't um, I actually don't think it's there's any downside to promoting, you know, support your local businesses, where your local restaurant. Um, we've got some sort of social media communities like Neighbourly and um, Localist, and just just different kinds of um, ways to reach people, local newspapers, etc. Um, promotions through schools. Um, and so I, I think the message is, you know, we, we need your help to stay afloat. We need your help to recover. Um, we really appreciate you, you supporting us in that way. And I think that's actually the most genuine message that, that people can give. And I think that's actually what people respond to. Yeah, just being really authentic, isn't it? Just, yeah. just putting it plainly. Sinead, is this something you're seeing too? Yeah, definitely. There's been a massive um, pull towards um, supporting your local. I think people just want to see, you know, their favourite little coffee shop on the corner, stay afloat. You know, they they know those people personally. They go there every day to get their coffee. You know, they, they know the person that's pouring their coffee. Um, so, yeah, it's been very much um, a draw towards that. And, again, the same thing on social media we're seeing you know the support locals um local specials and things like that that they're putting on to really get people through the door and i think yeah people just genuinely want to support um those local people that you know as justine was saying they go to their local school you know they know them personally we're also seeing um i think the other side of things that people also want to support um local supply So local ingredients, local produce, um, local farmers. So you do see a lot of venues now moving towards promoting the fact that they are using, you know, the fruit and veg from the local um, grocer, um, you know, utilising local seafood, for example. Um, So that's, that's very strong. 
Uh, is there an element of um, where people are commuting less where you are as well, where people are starting to discover their local areas where they live more because of that? Um, yeah, I would definitely say, I'd say particularly um, in places like Melbourne and Sydney that have been um, a lot more harder hit and they're obviously a lot more um, you know, population based, a lot more commuters going into the city. Um, you can definitely tell that people are wanting to shop at the local markets um, instead of going into town. Um, they are, you know, finding new places, um, particularly going to things like, you know, hinterlands and, and things like that, that you might not have um, travelled to um, previously. So, yeah, I would definitely say so. So on to our second prediction for the summer, which is around kindness. Gemma, what do you mean by this and how will it impact things? I think we've seen a trend in well-being for a good while now, you know, even before the pandemic. And, and consumers are prioritising their mental health more than ever. But this is this combined with the pandemic has led to acts of kindness to become something that's top of mind. And if you think about the advertising campaigns that we've seen over the last six months in the UK, you know, things like the John Lewis Christmas campaign was all about kindness at this time of year. We've seen wonderful support um, for things like the lorry, the lorry drivers that were stranded before Christmas on the UK border. We had volunteer groups going out to um, make sure that they were well fed. Um, and I think that all of this is leading for consumers looking for brands to do the same thing and for brands and hospitality outlets to give back and tap into this feel-good factor. Consumers want to know that they're not just making a transactional purchase. They want to know that they're tapping into something that's much bigger. And I think kindness links into local as well. There's this innate need for belonging and forging like-minded people to come together for for a greater cause there's just a real opportunity to to do something credible and authentic and kind that gives back within hospitality right now Justine is this something that you see resonating still in New Zealand we have a sort of a unique situation there where when um, in March of 2020 when our Prime Minister um the mighty goes by one name, Jacinda, announced that we were going into lockdown. And at that stage, this was very new. So we'd seen this virus take hold in China and lots of people have been traveling around the world. And I was in the UK in the beginning of March. And, and you know, we were talking about a little bit, but not even much and came back. And one week later, um, we in New Zealand went into full level four lockdown. And level four lockdown means no dominoes no takeaway food, nothing gets delivered, nothing is open except petrol stations and supermarkets. There was there was no, you couldn't order from Zara online, you couldn't do anything. So we had this very strict lockdown and her message was be kind. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what um, the next few weeks are going to look like. We just know that we're in real danger and so we're going to take this incredible act um, tough action and we need everyone to be kind to each other so there was a community um, I guess sense of that message right from the get-go and she has maintained two things one real visibility and continued to talk about that and we had an election and there was still lots to talk about that so in that respect the kindness factor has really been ingrained into into the Kiwi culture of 2020 or the Kiwi culture of maybe the next few years it is almost like something that goes with our jandals and which is our flip-flops um, and you know the things we say and and just you know Kiwi kindness so that so for us I think it's a little bit different it's about our personalities and our community um, and the corporate uh, resonate, resonance of it has been, I guess, more just about being good to each other and, and being good to the people you work with and being good to your family. Um, I do think, I, when I, when you were talking there, Gemma, what I was thinking about was, you'll remember on one of our calls recently, the team from Belgium were talking about when they were in very extreme lockdown, 
they got all of their chocolate that they had in stock that obviously wasn't getting sold and they sent it out to all of their customers with a note and just said you know look after yourselves we care about you so the same sort of thing we don't know what's happening but we wanted you to know that we're thinking about each other and I think it's that you know you used the word authentic just before I think it's that authentic kindness that really resonates and when businesses like our Belgium team can find a way to express that, it feels so genuine and appropriate um, and, and really impacts people. It's got a really positive um, impact that goes well beyond that particular moment. It's more like it's the small gestures. Yes. It's like yeah. kindness yeah. just being part of what you do on an everyday basis rather than those big grand gestures. Yeah. And I think that's something for, for hospitality and for well for food service in general, just to think about would be how can you kind of bring kindness into your DNA as a business? I wonder, Sinead, if this is something that you that you see in Australia as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially around the time um, of restrictions easing, you could definitely just get a general sense um, of community, of people being extremely grateful, um, being grateful to be able to go um, out for dinner, the gratefulness of the people serving them dinner. Um, I think just just generally, um, there's just a feeling of, of kindness. Um, everyone just seemed to be a little bit more friendlier in life, um, which was actually really nice to see. Um, a bit more chatty than you probably normally would have been with the person at the supermarket. Um, and I think it, we, we still, even though we're months after that, I can definitely still sort of feel that that community vibe, um, particularly with when we've got these smaller, um, you know, spurt lockdowns happening at the moment. I think people, are, it's bringing back to them how lucky we are that um, that's not happening more often. Um, and I know we had one particularly here in um, Brisbane a few weeks ago, we got put into a shock three-day lockdown we got four hours notice um and even just going to the supermarket and things like that people were just chatting um helping each other it was really lovely to see um and i think just from an industry perspective um coming out of restrictions and things like that there were so many amazing and really out of the box charitable organizations that that sprung up um, to help hospitality workers um, to utilize food that may have been going um, into wastage um, yeah people just being really innovative um, so I think you know it's really spurred people's creativity as well as their kindness. So moving on to our third prediction we're going to talk about the development of menu simplification Gemma, we've seen this as something that's kind of developed during the pandemic here, but do you expect this to continue and develop? Yeah, we we definitely do. Um, it, it has been one of the, I guess, the biggest changes um, when it comes to, you know, how, how, how the hospitality industry is operating um, at the moment, because, because we've had to change, we've had to adapt, we've had to simplify things. Um, I was having a look at some data from Lumina last week, which said that um, last year, last spring and summer, the average dish count on menus was down 22%. And that was seen across all courses. And, you know, this is driven by really operators looking to control cost, um, manage the reduction in staff, you know, if they've, if they've been faced with that. Also, I think, Sinead, you said about wastage as well. So, yeah, looking to reduce waste wherever possible. Um, so we're seeing, yeah, operators are carrying fewer ingredients. Um, this has also led, though, to an increase in customised menus. So a massive, massive year-on-year -year increase in customised menus, 83% increase, particularly when it comes to those simple dishes. So we're still seeing burger is still number one on menus in the UK. Um, and that plays perfectly into this idea of um, personalisation, customisation. 
people being able to experiment with ingredients, carrying fewer ingredients and just doing that one thing quite flexibly, but really well. Um, again, lending itself to trend in vegan as well. So, yeah, I, I do think that this will be something that for this year, certainly, and probably going forward, whilst the pressure is there around cost control, um, and also just, you know, operationally getting the menu to work really, really hard. I think this is something that will um, definitely be be here to stay. Well, we'll start with Sinead this time. How, how have you seen menus being simplified in Australia? Yeah, it's definitely something that we saw coming out of um, harder restrictions. Um, as a business, <clears throat> the Bid Food Marketing team put together quite a few um, different um, solution offerings for our customers to help them with that. Um, we put together what we called um, Get Set. Um, we were seeing a lot of businesses moving towards set menus um, so that they could really control um, what they were serving, um, numbers, um, and obviously wastage and prep. We also, um, yeah, definitely saw a move to uh, reduce capacity menus. Um, we put together a solution which we called Menu Meal Savers. So that was really helping our customers utilise um, ingredients across multiple menu items. Also um, helping them to understand uh, products like um, portion control sous vide meats, um, for example, where you've got longer shelf life, you're not having that wastage, it's really low prep. Um, so when they're trying to still operate on reduced staffing numbers, um, that was really easy for them to do and really versatile. Um, and those sort of products would be something that maybe a lot of enemies wouldn't have previously thought to look at. Um, so, yeah, just really helping them with that. And I, I think even now you, you're not going to restaurants and seeing these crazy menus with 60 items on them. And definitely reduced people are learning to know what they do well um, and just just focus on that and I think people also just want to come back to get their favorite meals um, that you know I'm not they would, weren't able to get for a little while there so definitely one of the first things I'm going to do when we get out of this lockdown is just go to all the favorite places and get all the meals that I've just not had in ages how about for you in uh, New Zealand Justine very similar to what Sinead talked about um, we've seen uh, customers basket what we call the basket um is is shrunk so they're buying less products um and doing as much as they can with them i don't know if that if it's doing more but you know maybe it's dropping off a few lines of the menu that that were less um, profitable and perhaps had a higher wastage uh, so i think that's definitely a factor the suvi so we're seeing a real growth in in our pre-prepared products um, where there is more opportunity for the customer to hold that um, product in the chiller for longer and just use what they need to, um, particularly because demand is quite up and down. You just don't have that same continual, you certainly don't have any tourists, so you've got an, an aspect of the economy that just isn't present in any of our um, hospitality industries. But, you know, if there's a hint of maybe, um, like Sinead talked about, you know, short lockdowns, I think... You know, the, the hospitality market is a little bit less resilient. So the wrong weather or something on the news does mean it can be quieter than they expect for no particular reason or, or certainly not a predictable reason. We've also seen this year a reduction in the fresh produce components of the menus. So fresh fruit and vegetables. And I think that's about two things. One is the perishable nature of that product. If you're not going to use it in the next couple of days, it's just not going to last. And so it's a, a cost that might end up in wastage. Then there's an aspect with that component of the plate can be about adding colour. It can be about adding variety into the plate, but it's not necessarily what the customer is really looking for um, as much as it is, say, the steak and the fries. And it's adding cost. So we're seeing the, the produce component of the plate reduce quite a lot. I think it will come back, particularly from a summer perspective. But if I think, you know, to the UK and your summer that's coming ahead, you've got Brexit, which is a source for an awful lot of that product. I mean, that same, you're going to have up and downs and probably, you know, opening up and then maybe sort of another little semi-lockdown. And that's an area of the menu spend that customers very quickly sacrifice um, versus other things that are a little bit more robust. I wonder how operators can therefore meet consumer expectations. So if they are 
I guess, as you put it, you know, they are taking some things potentially off the plate. And yet, you know, we're saying that they are potentially offering less choice when it comes to the number of items. How can operators still give the consumer what they're looking for? I think you're so, I think you come out of that situation, the customer is so pleased to be out of the house and for someone else to cook. They're looking for flavour. Um, they're looking for familiarity. I don't know what Joe's favourite meal is that he's looking for, but it's probably KFC or, you know, a burger or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's everything pretty much. <laughs> so I think, I think that you're looking for the enjoyment. So I, I want to say um, a lip-smacking meal, you know, something you just so enjoy eating and it's about the flavour and maybe the memories of those other times that you... Um, that you had, you know, fish and chips on the beach or a burger on that holiday or something like that. And so I don't know that the consumer is hugely picky. They, they're looking to enjoy themselves outside of their house. Um, and, and first and foremost, you know, they're satisfied with something that's probably simpler than it would have been, you know, this time a year ago. I think quality has gone up massively in terms of where it was on consumers' priorities. It's much, much higher. So, yeah, it's absolutely something that's delicious, but also gives real quality. So on to prediction four, we have the rise in staycations. 2020 was the year for the staycation in the UK. And 2021 is set to be even bigger due to pent-up demand. Uh, what do you expect to happen this summer, Gemma? Well, it sounds like this summer is going to be big. Um, a lot of places in the UK are already saying that they are booked up, which is fantastic. Um, so as soon as we've got the green light, I think we will, yeah, we will see a boom in staycations, which is really great for the market. Um, I, I think that this ties a lot into what we've talked about already around regional produce. Um, the you know British and consumers again want wanting to stay local, but this therefore means that consumers will have an expectation of the food offer and the facilities that they expect from their staycation. I was having a, I was doing a bit of research into this one, and I came across a really interesting acronym that a, a pub called the Bike and Boots in Scarborough has coined. And the acronym is Wadobi. Wadobi means facilities for walkers, dogs, bikers and surfers. So they're providing lockers and boot washing facilities, showers, etc. Really, really just appealing to this, um, this market. So they're really looking at what the consumer need is. So why, what are people looking for from their staycation? And, you know, we've talked about wellness, we've talked about health here, and we're just seeing, you know, we've got a new love for the outdoors, haven't we? All we've been able to do for the last few months is go for a walk. So there's this real appreciation there for, for the outdoors. And equally, we're in quite a good position when it comes to our vaccine rollout, which is brilliant. So we're, we are expecting to see the ageing market potentially um, being one of those markets that is ready to explore a little bit more and uh, book that summer staycation. Also, just to, I guess, contradict something that we've said earlier, and we talked about avoidance of city centres, a study by Mintel suggested that city breaks still hold massive appeal for consumers. City breaks in the UK being the top option that consumers are looking forward to above anything else which I thought was so, so interesting. It just shows that we've, you know, we've really, really missed that, I guess, that kind of buzz kind of feel that you get from a city break. So yeah, a lot of interesting different things happening within the staycation market, but it is set to, uh, it is set to be, to be good for this summer. Sinead, is this something that you see in Australia? Yeah, def definitely. The local tourism um, market, uh, you know, we're very lucky. We've got beaches and, and hinterlands and countryside sort of all, all wrapped up around most of our major cities. Um, I have found, um, particularly over the last few months, that it has gone back a little bit more to um, travelling within your state, um, which, which is still fantastic. Um, you know, a lot of... Um, 
you know, very tourism towns uh, are full of um, people from major cities um, that are going to these smaller places that maybe they would never have even considered going on a holiday there. Um, and you're seeing a lot of these places really take advantage of that kind of provincial um, countryside or beachside <clears throat> um, feel that they can offer. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's been quite good for the industry to think a little bit outside the box because um, Australia and places like Queensland in particular have, have always been very reliant on overseas tourists. Um, so it's, it's really allowed us to, I guess, change the way that places are marketing themselves, the type of activities, as you said, that they're offering, the types of food that they're serving um, to be more catered towards that um, Australian local market. Justine, do you have anything to add to that one? I think it's that um, as a as a local, there's that strong sense that you've got the opportunity to discover some of your incredible tourist attractions with no tourists. And so we have seen the places that, uh, you know, usually there's, there's heaps of Americans, I'll say Americans because you guys are from the UK, um, you know, massively populated with this they're not there and so as a kiwi you can go you can experience your own country your own tourist occasions your own regional locations and it's and it's just it's you know it's just all locals we have seen lots of that it's very concentrated it definitely is around that summer school holiday period and then it does or it has done here in new zealand drop off quite quickly so the demand in those areas has been quite spiky um, goes up when it's holiday period and then, you know, comes back down again. But it get, certainly does give those regional economies a boost. Um, and, and I think it's made a real difference because in some respects, you know, we were very concerned about our overall economic situation. And it's been Kiwi spending their own tourist dollars that has actually contributed a lot to, you know, a positive economy in a lot of regions. And is there anything that you think operators should do now as we in the UK look ahead to the summer and we're keeping our fingers crossed that we are going to be in a better place and we can capitalise on this staycation market? What would your advice to UK operators be now? Promote to local um, customers, absolutely, because there is, you've got uh, more supply than demand for sure and people are going to look they're going to be looking for ideas. They're going to be looking for something that, you know, their kids want to do because, you know, kids aren't necessarily going to be so keen on walking or, you know, some of the some of those more regional activities. Um, so I think that the key is really to be pretty quick to the promotion and um, get some get some of that trade coming in as people are looking to, to plan it in now. So we'll move on to our penultimate prediction, which is about how we're changing spaces. Uh, Gemma, how are businesses changing the way they use their space and how do you see this developing in the future? This is really about how we are, yeah, taking this fresh look and the pandemic has forced us to think about how we can use our space very, very differently. I think one of the ways that we will see this emerging you know, if it's not this summer, I think it will be later this year, potentially into next year, would be around the return to the office um, and this hybrid model of working from home and office working. So there's a question mark, isn't there, around how will office space be used? Um, and I think that it's potential that it, it might be used more so for collaboration than it will be for people just going back to the office, you know, nine to five and just sitting at um, a desk. And I think that therefore means that um, for operators in the workplace um, sector, they'll need to think about what, what therefore does the food offer need to look like there? And how does it need to change? And um, how does it almost facilitate this collaborative working? We're also seeing um, over the last few months, certainly, we've seen this continued blurring lines between retail and food service. So we've seen pubs selling retail food. We've seen pubs um, opening up farm shops and serving local communities. And we've also seen 
convenience stores moving more into a restaurant space. So there was a, a spa shop in Walthamstow that's opened a restaurant on top of its convenience store. We're also seeing in hospitality underutilised hotel space at the moment being used for dark kitchens, so delivery only offer. And then equally within the hotel space, hoteliers are looking at how they can um, adapt and morph into something that's more than just um, about, you know, a room for the night, uh, looking at longer dwell time, looking at how they can um, really get the consumer in, but get them to spend money throughout the day on, on different, um, different options. So whether that's wellness facilities, retail facilities, this idea of everything kind of being blended into this one space that meets your needs. And therefore, you know, food will play a really interesting role in that. And Shanae, I wonder if I can come to you first of all and ask if, if you're seeing a similar thing in Australia. Um, not so much in the office space area. Um, I, th I think we have been very lucky. We do have a trend um, definitely of a lot more people still even now working from home on you know, a, a one day, two day basis. Um, but we have seen a, a big return to the um, office spaces, um, particularly in the city um, as well. So very lucky in that respect. Haven't hasn't um, impacted a lot of change. What we have seen though is absolutely the retail food service merge. People were so excited about, you know, their favourite restaurants offering um, pre-made meals that they could just heat up and serve or even just the ingredients or sauces or marinades that these places were using that people absolutely loved. The fact that you can now go and buy a bottle of that, um, a jar of that, from your you know, local steakhouse. Um, I don't think that's gonna go away anytime soon. Um, extremely popular. And I know there's a lot of venues that are doing it very, very well, that they've even now had to open completely separate full retail stores just to um, deal with the demand of that. So that's quite cool um, in itself, I think, yeah. How would you say consumers are responding to this new sort of blurred uh, landscape? I think it's quite good. Um, it, it's forcing people to think about the ingredients that the venues are actually using. Um, people are getting excited about cooking at home, but I don't think that's actually deterring from the industry because they are trying to purchase those ingredients from those food service providers. So it's, it's just kind of moving um, the consumer's way of thinking and a venue's way of thinking, um, particularly if they're pre-made um, Seen. There's a lot of restaurants that have said that they're going to continue to do this because it's just so popular that they're actually getting business on a Wednesday or Thursday evening of people coming to buy those pre-made meals that they can just go and heat up at home, whereas previously they wouldn't have bought anything from that venue on a Wednesday or Thursday night. So it's, it's actually giving them new business, um, which, which is fantastic. Yeah, tapping into new uh, opportunities, new day parts potentially as well. Justine, can I come to you? Something that we're seeing in New Zealand particularly is a real um, reduction in the requirement for commercial office space. And so uh, somewhat um, changing attitude from landlords about how they use that. Um, it's still early days, you know, it's only really just a few months after it's clear that the work from home uh, hybrid model is here to stay and I think that's just absolutely around the world I don't think that that's you know um, short term I think that's going to stay reasonably long term but it's a it's a two-day three-day you know sort of a scenario but as a result office space is just not in such a demand and we are seeing we're not seeing so much of it actually executed that yet but we are seeing talk at a landlord level and in those big office parks about converting more of the office space into um, experiences as much as anything else. So certainly restaurants, but also places to eat and sit, um, childcare, gyms, maybe some retail, um, maybe some residential, so that the, the office space can be converted, but also it gives people a reason to stay in that area. Maybe it's a case of staying longer in the day when they've been at work. Maybe it's a case 
of um, not wanting to travel so much around the city. But I think that that um, actually has the potential to create some much more inviting places to work. You know, if you've got several restaurants and, and maybe a deli and you've got, you know, more than one childcare option close by and you've got a couple of gyms and, you know, those sorts of things in, in your close, in the close area to work might actually mean that you want to go to work for three days of the week, not two, you know, flip that balance around. We'll move on to our final prediction now, which is the increase of outdoor dining. Gemma, what would you say is happening in the UK for this? Yeah, this one is uh, really, really interesting and such a big opportunity, I think. Um, so outdoor dining has obviously come about out of necessity. You know, it's been born out of um, a desire for safety and social distancing. It's not something historically we've done that much of in the UK market, but almost 50% of operators are planning to invest more in outdoor dining. And 54% of consumers say they're willing to continue outdoor dining, even in the winter months, as long as areas are adapted. And you know, there's been lots of brilliant examples of operators being a bit creative with how they do this. So we've seen the igloos popping up in pub car parks. We've seen teepees in hotels. And as I said, yeah, it's about safety and social distancing, but there's something I think longer term happening here that could be really, really um, interesting in terms of the consumer desire for experiential dining. So I think this is another trend that's come out of the pandemic. So we've talked about quality, but consumers wanting a bit more of an experience for their money. So outdoor dining plays into this really well. So I'm thinking highly decorated areas, themed kind of outdoor spaces, creating that cosy feel, you know, really bringing all of the senses into this um, experience. And I think that we could probably take some learnings from Australia, potentially, um, because I'm guessing this is something that you guys are quite familiar with, given your uh, climate. Yes, thankfully, um, most of our dining is already outdoors. Um, so we're quite familiar and, and set up for wanting to extend or increase the amount of outdoor dining they have in their venues even more. Um, so we are seeing things like um, people utilising laneways. And again, as you were saying, decorating them, you know, beautiful fairy lights, very experience-based. Um, we did see last winter, you know, along rivers um, and beaches, the setup of these little igloos and cones and things like that. So you could still utilise the all of the outdoor um, spaces that probably wouldn't have been as utilised during winter. Um, we're also seeing a lot of uh, parks and things like that opening up to these like pop-up um, dining experiences that will last last for a month and then they'll move on to the next place. So again, people really being innovative. Um, you know, it might have been that they had an 80% outdoor capacity for their venue. They're now looking at how they can make that 90 to 100%. Um, but yeah, I, I think for us, it's it's always been about outdoor dining, about alfresco. Um, but I think people are really trying to up the ante on that so if people do go out um, they are trying to have that absolute amazing experience um, so it's really about how you make your venue stand out um, from the next venue I think at the moment. Absolutely and from an operational um, perspective how can operators make this work for them because the beauty of it is that it enables them to do more covers fantastic but with that you've got to have more staff etc. So how can how do you think operators can find that balance and really make outdoor dining work? I think a lot of that's coming back to that um, reduced capacity menu that we were talking about before. Um, you know, there are a lot of places, um, particularly your Mediterranean style restaurants that are very, very popular over here and, and generally all outdoors that would have those expansive menus. Um, everyone does seem to be pairing back, um, just doing things well. And I think that allows them to, to do those more covers. And I don't think particularly in the summer months um, for us that people are out there, they want to enjoy 
I know one of the main things that people were absolutely looking forward to when they came out of restrictions was something as simple as a, a chicken schnitzel and a beer off tap. Um, that's all they wanted. You know, so outdoor um, dining really lends itself to that kind of really simple, basic food um, that you're just not going to get um, at home. So, yeah, we're definitely seeing a trend with that. Justine, are you seeing similar? I mean, like Australia, we have heaps and heaps of outdoor dining. Our climate's not so good. So the two words that I would use is outdoor heating. Outdoor heating. Um, you know, we have those, you have restaurants, cafes at, with those overhead heaters or the external heaters, and that can make all of the difference. So I think that that's really key um, to the experience. And, and Sinead was talking about it there, casual outdoor dining is about casual dining. So, you know, gourmet pizzas, lots of fries, lots of um, bruschetta or things like that, that you can share with people and eat with your fingers. I don't know that outdoor dining, particularly when the weather isn't amazing, you want to, you know, you want to get hot food and hold it close to you. Um, and those are the kinds of things that people are happy to sit outside and have and they'll have a drink and they'll sit under the heater or sit by a fire um, and eat, you know, in, in that kind of way. And then also if they get a bit cold, that they're not sort of waiting for two more courses because that's a reality, you know, when you're weather dependent. Sounds idyllic and we cannot wait for those lovely warm summer nights. Absolutely, it's been absolutely freezing here as well, so um, I cannot wait for summer now. Just before I wrap things up, is there any other learnings that the UK can take from New Zealand and Australia? Justine, do you want to go first? I think it's really hard to imagine after a year of of really one big lockdown, and I know you guys had a bit of a summer, but the business bounces back really quickly. It isn't the same shape. You know, there are definitely sectors that don't recover, you know, premium dining, um, premium hotel, things that are strongly international tourism, but just the general desire to celebrate with your family, to celebrate special occasions, to um, get together with your friends and family and, and I guess appreciate each other because you haven't you know, been able to do that. Appreciate the country that you live in, which is safe. You know, appreciate that you guys have your health because we haven't all you know, have had that. Um, that expresses itself in the hospitality trade. And celebrations lend themselves to going out, um, whether, it, whether it's local or whether it's in a beach town or whether it's somewhere nice. And the trade does come back pretty quickly. So I would um, only encourage you that from the other side of, of that, uh, that the business is really resilient and hospitality operators are very entrepreneurial. And um, customers, if they're going to spend a dollar, they're going to spend it probably eating and drinking for the next year. So the future of food service is still very exciting. Um, it's just about getting through the next few months before that's a reality. Absolutely. How about for you, Sinead? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it's an industry that bounces back and we've seen it bounce back in really quite spectacular, um, amazing ways. As I said before, it's people being innovative, being creative, it's people wanting to go out and have those amazing new experiences um, and really enjoying being out, I think, more than they probably ever have before. Um, I think one of the big things um, to take away from our experience as well is also our patience. So even when you are coming out of those restrictions, it, it's ever-changing um, landscape of what you can have capacity-wise, um, how you can serve things, um, seating times, it, it's ever-changing. And I think um, what we did learn is there needs to be a lot of patience from the um, hospitality side of things, but also from the consumer um, side of things, um, that they're going out, that they're being patient with the wait staff, uh, with the business owners, that they're learning and doing things as best they can as they go along. And, and I think for the most part, um, people absolutely were. They were just so grateful to be out, um, that they were, you know, happy to be patient, to understand that they could only you know, eat out for an hour at one particular venue at a time and things like that. So 
but yes, absolutely very resilient industry um, that we're lucky to be a part of. Absolutely. And what about um, the situation with PPE? As soon as I think people feel safe, the last thing they want to see is a reminder of those long months of, um, let's call it modified behaviour. So um, I think there's almost like an in-between, a no-man's land, where you are, you know, you're sanitising. I don't know about you, but we're, we're, we're tracing, you know, we're scanning into every place we go and you're still doing that. But, you know, masks and gloves and any reminder um, of um, health being under threat is not what you want to experience when you're out celebrating with family. Um, and so that disappeared pretty quickly. I, it, it will be there for a little while, but I don't think that um, it's there for much past you know, the first couple of months after, you know, hospitality opens back up again, if it lasts that long. Is it the same for you as well, Sinead? Yeah, definitely. I think people are still very mindful. You can can tell when you go out that people do, you know, are mindful of keeping a distance um, from each other to, to some extent, definitely not um, as, as much as it was when you were first coming out of, of restrictions. Um, we also have the same thing. You do need to check in into every venue that you go into, um, which I, I think is a, a really positive thing. And it's, it's allowed us to ensure that we're keeping things under control here. Um, in terms of face masks, really the only time that that's been reintroduced is during these um, mini lockdowns that we have had where people have um, been required to wear face masks into any establishment during those lockdowns. But outside of that, um, that hasn't really been enforced um, since late last year. That's really interesting. So we'll um, wrap things up there. Justine, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And Shanae, of course, thank you as well. Not a problem. And uh, of course, thank you, Gemma, for joining me today as co-host. Thanks, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you as always for listening. If you're new here, we have loads of episodes filled with advice and tips for guiding you through the pandemic and beyond. Recently, we've talked about generating more revenue during lockdown, and we've also had an episode about making the most of social media at this time. Make sure you check those out. We also have a wide range of tools available, including our blog, which summarizes what we have been talking about in this episode. You'll find the link to this in our episode summary. In the meantime, please do subscribe so you can be the first to hear what comes next from us. Until next time, goodbye.